Good morning. Welcome to a July 14th edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. Appreciate your time today. Hopefully you smiled when the notification popped up on your phone that a new podcast has been released. Hopefully you're a subscriber to the podcast. I don't really pound the subscribers, but that would help. It's a nice number to see uh, on my analytics page, and I appreciate the fact that you subscribe, the fact that you listen, the fact that you uh, respond with reviews on iTunes. Very, very nice as we try to build this podcast to hopefully uh, have some fun talking sports and to uh, strengthen our uh, collective faith and our... um, performance, our, I don't like the word performance, our authenticity, I like that word better, as disciples of Christ. So let's uh, plow into a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. You can always reach us at wetacklelife at gmail.com, wetacklelife at gmail.com. Three really good sports topics today, and then we have a faith topic. So let's start, as we always do, with a shout-out to one of our awesome, loyal advertisers today, Willis Spangler-Starling, gets the front mention on the podcast Great law firm, fantastic people, unimpeachable integrity, character, expertise, acumen, friendliness, and the recognition, the realization, the awareness that if you are involved in a legal action, it is all-consuming in your thoughts. You're either trying to protect your legal rights or you're trying, well, you're trying to do that in one way or the other, whether to defend somebody else making an insinuation or an accusation against you, or whether you're trying to make sure that you're not taken advantage of because your rights have been infringed upon. Willis Spangler Starling specializes in situations that develop in your work regarding an injury, perhaps workers' compensation or personal injury, planning for your estate, probate situations, shepherding you through that process, employment law, and certainly any other aspect of the law. Willis Spangler Starling should be your first call. They are on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. They are just a little bit north of the Mill Run area. Very convenient, very friendly staff, friendly offices, warm, inviting. Check out their core values on their website at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. And I think you like myself because they are my firm. They're not just my sponsor. They are my firm, and they're my go-to on all things law-related. Okay, I guess we're going to start with uh, Major League Baseball. The All-Star Game was last night. Okay, so here's the deal. I used to love the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I used to love Major League Baseball. I don't love Major League Baseball anymore. Uh, I told somebody a story yesterday. My friend Dave, I told a story that I was in the car listening to the Indians on my way home from work one night, and Tom Hamilton, my good friend Tom Hamilton, uh, future Baseball Hall of Famer. Why he's not, I don't think Hammy's in yet, but, man, he's going to be in someday. should be. Uh, was talking about a catcher who uh, had X number of all-star appearances, X number of gold gloves, X number of accomplishments at the plate. And he said he's the first catcher in Major League Baseball to do that since Johnny Bench. And I realized I'd never heard of this guy, Uh, Salvador Perez of the Royals. And now I jog my memory and I remember Salvador Perez from back when I was watching the Indians, back when I had Sports Time Ohio, back before DirecTV, Dish, and uh, YouTube TV now that I have does not have Bally Sports Channel, which is what Sports Time Ohio has become. So I don't know the stars of Major League Baseball. Recently, I got to watch the Indians play the Astros on Fox. I didn't know a single Indians position player. Not a single one. Jose Ramirez was hurt that night, so he wasn't playing. But I've fallen out of love with Major League Baseball. Um, and so I'm watching. Uh, I'm at dinner last night with some buddies 
and the all-star game is on. Now we were in an ethnic restaurant. We were in a, uh, a Mexican restaurant, uh, shout out Los Gauchos on Sawmill Road, uh, home of the El Pastor taco. And there was a game on, but my seat was such that I couldn't see the game. Like it was behind me. And then there was, I noticed another TV where there was a game, a baseball game, but it didn't look like a major league baseball game because the uniforms were not the normal uniforms of major league baseball players. And I thought I was watching like a replay of like a winter ball game or a Cuban league game or something like that, because every other thing on the TVs there was a, was a soccer game. And so it was a very, you know, ethnic oriented restaurant. And so today I get up and I'm like, all right, I better check out and see who won the all-star game. And I find out that, uh, these were like the actual all-stars wearing these clownish uniforms, all blue for the American league, all white for the national league. They just look ridiculous, ridiculous. And everybody hates them on social media. Uh, I used to love the all-star game when, you know, the reds players, when they had boring uniforms were allowed to wear red shoes or white shoes. Uh, so Rob Manfred has made another, um, quote unquote, innovation, special all-star uniforms. Look, you want to use them in the home run derby? That's fine. But let them wear their regular uniforms in the actual all-star game is what my response to that would be. Now, I see Manfred is talking about a return to regular baseball next season after uh, this silliness where they put a runner on second base to start extra innings and double headers are seven innings each. What are we back in Acme League where the kids have to get home and bail hay the next day so we can't play a 14 inning game? <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous. The one thing baseball has over the NFL and over the NBA is the comparative veracity of its stats from one era to the next. But if you go screwing around with the length of games and runners on second base to start extra innings, you're going to forever mess with that. So Manfred says they're going away from that, that those were COVID protocols. Here's another thing he says they might do, and I actually like this. He says they might require each team to have an two infielders on each side of second base and that the infielders all must have their feet in the dirt or in the what used to be the dirt portion of the infield. Um, I would like to see him outlaw the shift. I think baseball has gone analytics crazy and it's ruining the game. All they care about are strikeouts and home runs. I have no idea what exit velocity, spin rate, and all that stuff means. What um, I mean, I understand the concept of wins above replacement, uh, all that stuff, but it's just gone analytics crazy, and I don't think to the good of the casual fan. So figure out a way to shorten the games and figure out a way to get back to consistent rules from one era to the next would be my recommendations to Major League Baseball. Uh, was there anything else on the baseball front? I uh, don't think so. Oh, yeah, Stephen A. Smith and his comments about Shohei Otani of the Angels, who made the team as a pitcher, made the team as a uh, slugger. Shohei Otani does not do interviews in English. Uh, apparently, he can speak English, but he's more comfortable speaking in his native Japanese, and he requires an interpreter. And Stephen A. Smith basically said, the guy can't be the face of baseball if he doesn't speak English. Okay, well, this is in this era, of course, anything that comes within a hemisphere uh, of um, commenting on someone's ethnicity being different and they need to adopt our ethnicity or our language or whatever. There are going to be people who reacted to that in a very vitriolic way. I'm not in the business of defending Stephen A. Smith and his braggadocious, boisterous 
bellicose manner. Uh, but uh, on this one, I-, I get why people are upset. I don't think he's wrong. Um, two things can be true at once. It can sound bad coming out of your mouth, but it can also be true. Does Shohei Otani's unwillingness to engage in the English language keep fans from becoming as enamored with him or knowing him as well, identifying with him, the word we use in radio is relatability, does it stand in the way of his relatability to fans? Yeah, probably a little bit. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's as uh, big a problem as Stephen A. Smith made it sound. I don't, I think there's an argument to be made, perhaps not a convincing argument, but an argument to be made that it makes Shohei Otani a bit of a mystery man, an international man of mystery. And it might, the intrigue involved in that might make him more compelling to some fans. Um, The test case on this, of course, is Ichiro. Ichiro was an unbelievably great player. Was Ichiro ever the face of Major League Baseball? Uh, No. Some of that was he played most of his career in Seattle. Some of it was he played during an era where the Yankees dominated. And if the Yankees are dominating and they have a guy like Jarek Jeter, that guy's going to be, you know, A-Rod, Derek Jeter, those guys were the face of Major League Baseball during that time. So it's not 100% the language. Is the language a factor? I'd say yes. Uh, Look, the LPGA golf used to be more popular than it is now. And what would, this will be politically incorrect, uh, if the LPGA, um, let's say it this way, if the Corda sisters, Jessica and Nellie Corda, become the dominant players on the LPGA Tour, that will be really good for the LPGA because they're American players and because they're attractive, physically attractive. They're both very beautiful young women. And they're sisters, and that's unusual, okay? What has been said before by some people, I don't remember who, but I remember there was a furor over this probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. When you look at every leaderboard on the LPGA Tour, and it's populated by uh, six or seven um, Asians who do not speak English. And it's to the point where there are so many uh, outstanding Asian players on the LPGA Tour that they even have to give some of them numbers because their name is exactly the same. Um, If I pull a name out of the sky and make one up, I'll probably, people accuse me of being racist. But like, let's say, let's say there were, because this is the case, there was like somebody who won a tournament a couple years ago who was like, first name, last name, six. (laughs) Okay, it was an Asian name. First name, last name, six. It wasn't that her name was six. It was that she was the sixth different person on the LPGA Tour who had that exact same name, uh, who hailed from uh, a country um, of from the Far East. So, um, is that confusing to fans? Yes. Does that would it be better for the LPGA Tour if Lexi Thompson, Paula Creamer, she's back playing now, much to the joy of my friend Dennis Manloff in Cleveland. Shout out, D Man. Uh, uh, Paula Creamer, Lexi Thompson, Michelle Wee. And the Corda sisters, 
One or two of those were in contention every week. Would that help the LPGA Tour's relatability to the American golf fan? Of course. Of course. It was a good story when Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters. Do you want Hideki Matsuyama, if you're the PGA Tour, dominating the Tour like Tiger did? No, you don't. You just don't. You need American players because the American consumer is important to every single professional tour out there. So uh, Stephen A., as is often the case, here's the problem with Stephen A., okay? He's on a show where he has to act outraged by something, maybe multiple things, every single day. He's a shock jock. And I said this before many times. First of all, live media is a minefield. You are walking through a live minefield anytime you are on a live mic, and you can step on a mine any day. When you are a shock jock like Howard Stern, although he's on satellite so he can say whatever he wants, but if Howard Stern were on terrestrial radio, Rush Limbaugh when he was alive and on terrestrial radio, uh, Don Imus got into this situation. The problem with being a shock jock is that you always have to escalate your shocking shock value. And so Stephen A. Smith feels like he has to always be yelling, always be screaming, always be outraged, always be aff- uh, 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 taking affront at something. And so inevitably, he's going to step on a mine. Inevitably. And he did with Shohei Otani. But he makes $12 bucks. He's too big to fail. ESPN's not going to can him, even though there are people who call for it. But my guess is they're more... Uh, generally not fans of of Stephen A. Smith than they are personally offended by what he said uh, about Shohei Otani. All right, so now we shed the baseball topic, and I remind you uh, that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters stands ready to take your order and give you a 15% discount. We Tackle Life at G- We Tackle Life is the promo code. We Tackle Life. Write it in all caps. You'll get 15% off from Hemisphere. Every bean handpicked by someone in a foreign country Nicaragua, Thailand, Indonesia, others. They're very discerning buyers. They don't just find a grower. They find a grower and then give the coffee the exacting test for standards up to Hemisphere's degree of quality. So you're going to get great coffee. The growers are going to make more money because Paul buys it directly from them rather than through a government buyer. And then Paul was in the mission field and He's still in the mission field because the money that he uses to buy direct from growers, he has connected to these growers through his missionary efforts. And so these growers then do great things in their local communities. Um, In one, they have financed the planting of 50 churches in remote villages in their country. In another, they've saved 70 women from human trafficking. You're doing great things. In fact, that's their motto, good coffee doing good. And they are awesome. They sponsor my podcast at 9890answer.com. And they sponsor and have sponsored for the longest period of time the We Tackle Life podcast. We appreciate Hemisphere and our partnership with them very much. And we would encourage you to order from them at hemispherecoffeeroasters.com and use the promo code to get a discount and let them know how you heard about them here on the We Tackle Life podcast. All right, second topic today. Uh, A bit on the British Open, and then we'll get to Ohio State and uh, the Tattoo Gate uh, petition by the five players who would like to have their accomplishments at Ohio State reinstated and 
following through on my prediction that name, image, and likeness would lead to campaigns like this. And I'm not 100% or even mildly opposed to it. But first, the British Open, the Open Championship, to be correct. Um, it is at Royal St. George's. I don't know anything about Royal St. George's. I've never played it. I've played uh, a couple different British Open venues. I've played uh, Turnberry. I've played St. Andrews. Uh, I don't think they have it at Royal Dornock anymore, and uh, they do not have it at Nairn or Prestwick. But uh, Brooks Kepka does not like Royal St. George's. I wouldn't rule Brooks Kepka out of winning because he's like a top five guy in every tournament. The interesting thing about Kepka is the escalating feud with he and Bryson DeChambeau is back on. Uh, Kepka's like a very confident guy. He doesn't like DeChambeau. DeChambeau doesn't like him. Um, they're going to continue to snipe at each other. It's going to make the Ryder Cup very, very interesting because they're going to be teammates in the Ryder Cup. They're not going to be you know, paired together in the Ryder Cup, but they're going to be teammates, and that'll be a difficult situation for Steve Stricker, the captain, to handle. Uh, but the Open starts tomorrow. Uh, it'll be, you know, you want if you're an insomniac and you want to get up at the wee, wee hours of the morning and watch it, you can. I like being able to get up at 7 in the morning and watch a golf tournament. That's kind of cool. Uh, and I always love watching the Open Championship. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, I would pick, my sentimental pick is Louis Oosthuizen. I would love to see Louis win because he was right there at the PGA. He's been playing great. He uh, was, I think, the leader at uh, Torrey Pines in strokes gained putting. He's won the British before. It's his only major. He's come so close so many times. I would love to see Louis win the Open Championship. They didn't have one last year, so Shane Lowry has been able to keep the Claret Jug for two years. Uh, I will take Kepka or I will take Louis Oosthuizen, and that's uh, it's going to be a shot in the dark if I get that right because it's very hard to pick the winner of a golf tournament ahead of a golf tournament now that we're not in the Tiger Woods era anymore. All right. Now we get to the Ohio State situation. But first, auinfo.com. Remember auinfo.com. They are the place to go if you're a small business and you're looking for someone who loves small businesses because, hey, they are a small business. They understand your challenges. When it comes to offering benefits to your employees, they are the people who can do the research, know the co-pays, know the doctors, know the benefits, know the costs, share that with you at no cost to you, all free. You can then pick, you pick, they don't pick, you pick, you select the best benefits, they get paid by the people you select to provide your benefits. So you're saying, wow, where in there did I incur any costs? Nowhere. Nowhere in there did you incur any costs to AUI. I mean, you have to pay for the insurance, of course, but you're already paying for it. Just make sure you're getting what you think you're getting and paying and getting value for what you're paying and auiinfo.com is uh, phenomenal. Chrissy is, you will thank me, trust me, for introducing you to Chrissy. She is the uh, rock star head of auiinfo.com, and your life will be better, your business will be better, your day will be better when you interact with Chrissy and the AUI team. You can do it on a chat. You don't even have to talk to them, but you should because um, they're really smart people, and they'll really help your business at auiinfo.com. That's A-U-I info.com. All right. So yesterday I'm preparing for my radio show at uh, 98.9 The Answer. And I see this headline. 
Ohio State football players from Tattoogate scandal seek to have records reinstated. Very interesting. Very interesting. And the lead from Joey Kaufman of the Dispatch reads, five former Ohio State football players who were involved in a scandal in 2010 over the sale of their memorabilia for cash and tattoos are asking for their records to be reinstated by the NCAA. So this is, of course, TPZ2, Terrell Pryor, Devere Posey, Boom Heron, Mike Adams, and Solomon Thomas, all of whom figured prominently in Ohio State's win over Arkansas in the Sugar Bowl that year. Yes, they were allowed to play in the Sugar Bowl that year after several weeks before confessing to selling their memorabilia and gold pants and other items for tattoos and cash. It was a strange ruling then. It was strange that the NCAA allowed it. It was strange that Ohio State allowed it. And all five of them figured prominently in the game. You say, I don't even remember Solomon Thomas. Well, Solomon Thomas like either intercepted a pass or recovered a fumble at the end of the game. Mike Adams blocking, sprung, sprang Boom Heron for a big game. Devere Posey had a touchdown. Terrell Pryor played well. Uh, so they beat the great Ryan Mallett and the Arkansas Razorbacks in that game. Uh, so now they want their uh, good names, they want their names, restored. And they say, look, everything we did is legal now by name, image, and likeness. I do not hate to say I told you so because I occasionally enjoy being right. I said this would happen. I said this should happen. When name, image, and likeness came back into being, I believe on this very podcast, I mouthed the words free Jim Trestle, free Reggie Bush. And I think anybody whose record has been tainted by an, a vacated win or the like by the NCAA, Boban Savovich, the 99 Final Four team at Ohio State, on down the line, Villanova from way back in the day, Memphis with... Uh, Keith Lee, um, all those things, M UMass with Marcus Camby, uh, they all should be reinstated because what they did, I mean, generally, they all should be reinstated because generally what they did is now not against NCAA rules anymore, except the tattoo gate guys. The truth of the matter is that while generally I agree with their um, overarching view that, hey, we did that back then and that would be okay now, so we should be uh, exonerated. If true, <laughs> I would agree. The problem is it's not true because the name, image, and likeness guidelines right now in place still, still prohibit players from selling team-issued equipment, or apparel until their college eligibility expires. So you can't sell your shoes, your jerseys, your helmets. And I doubt you can sell your gold pants because that's team-issued too. So what they did is still within the narrow confines of the uh, small amount of surviving NCAA preclusions against such behavior. So if they are not, granted their restoration that they seek, that will be why. And, I mean, if it's still not allowed, then I guess they don't have a case. So, But generally, I don't have an opposition to that. And somebody like Reggie Bush, uh, certainly I would have no objection to Reggie Bush being uh, reinstated. As for Tress, 
I still don't think you can lie to the NCAA, and that is why he got a five-year show cause penalty. So while, again, it's not a table I would pound, a pulpit I would uh, preach on, or uh, you know, a, a bridge I would want to die on, uh, is what Jim Trestle did to get a five-year show cause penalty and have some of his wins vacated still against NCAA rules. Yeah, it still is. So uh, you can have that little nuance to drop into conversations with your buddies uh, as this comes up around, um, you know, a round of drinks or over the dinner table. With that, let's transition to the faith portion of the podcast. And so this morning, I sat down in my chair and I prayed that God would lay something on my heart to share with you, to inspire you, and to strengthen you. And the phrase, um, hunger and thirst for righteousness, came into my mind. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I proceeded to do what I do every day, which is read a couple chapters of Proverbs, including the chapter that corresponds with the date of the month. And today being the 14th of July, I was in Proverbs 14. And I usually go back and read the previous day's Proverbs again, or maybe sometimes the previous two days. My week has been a little disjointed, and so I didn't feel like I had adequately focused or drawn insight from, uh, let's say, Monday or Sunday's Proverbs. So I started in Proverbs 12, and I started reading, and I got to the end of Proverbs 12, and I have underlined the final verse of Proverbs 12 in my Bible long ago, and I have written a gentleman's name next to it. And the verse reads like this, In the way of righteousness there is life. Along that path is immortality. In the way of righteousness there is life. Along that path is immortality. Now, the gentleman's name that I wrote there is uh, someone that I knew because he was my wife's employer. Uh, his name was Chuck Zender. Chuck was a great man, and I don't use that word great lightly. Chuck was um, an amazingly transformative man in the business world, in uh, his uh, family life, and in all aspects of his life. So when I think about that verse, in the way of righteousness there is life, along that path is immortality, I will never forget Chuck Zender. There are many, many people who will never forget Chuck Zender. And so to me, he has come as close as possible uh, to achieving kind of how we view immortality here, which is leaving a legacy, leaving an epitaph behind that resonates. But I, I thought to myself, well, that's an interesting verse. So I looked up the word immortality. What does that mean, immortality, righteousness? Because, again, I started with those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're supposed to hunger and thirst. We're supposed to crave it. We're supposed to uh, chase it. We're supposed to um, need it, be desperate for righteousness, hunger it, hunger for it, thirst for it, not be able to live without it. And then I read the verse, in the way of righteousness, there is life along that path is immortality. So I thought, all right, let's look up immortality. Immortality is the ability to live forever, eternal life. Well, I mean, you know how we can live eternally as Christians. We know that. We accept Jesus as our Savior. We're forgiven for our sins because of what he did at the cross. Uh, we strive to authenticate uh, our acceptance of his redemption with the way we live, with a quote-unquote righteous life. But then as I Googled the word immortality, I went down the list and I saw 
you know how Google gives you like other things people ask? And one of the things other people ask, not Christians, is how do I become immortal? And then there's a entry, six ways to become immortal. The fear of disappearing without a legacy. So I read through this. It was interesting. And there's all these scientific ways to hopefully capture immortality. One of them is cryonics, which I thought, well, that's interesting. Cryonics is the freezing of your body and brain, a la Ted Williams. Hmm, that's interesting. Ted Williams, the great baseball player, the splendid splinter, uh, last man to hit 400 in Major League Baseball, was a great perennial all-star, was honored by the 50 greatest players in Major League Baseball history one year at the all-star game. Uh, Ted Williams is cryogenically frozen somewhere in Arizona. Did you know that cryogenics or cryonics is a $1 billion industry that there are 143 companies in the world that will cryogenically freeze you until science comes up with a way to restore you and keep you alive? So that's one way, according to Google, you can become immortal. There's another way called intelligence digitization. Researchers are working uh, at Microsoft on a way to take all the information in your brain right now and digitize it according to like uh, zeros and ones and numerics. You can become a third way to become immortal, a cyborg, artificial heart valves, pacemakers, modern prosthesis that work like real hands and feet, which accept and process brain signals. All this already exists today. The notion of a cyborg that is familiar to the audience by fantastic action movies, yeah, like Terminator, was invented in the 1960s. So they're working on that. Their science is working on that. There's other ways, genetic engineering, rebirth, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's interesting in this era of follow the science, there's this hunger out there apart from the one way I know to live forever for other people to live forever. And why is that? What is the fascination with living forever? Well, if you have a fascination with living forever, where does that come from? It must come from a fear of death. You're not crazy about dying, so you want to keep living. Well, as a Christian, I don't fear death. I'm not going to say I look forward to it, but I don't fear it. It doesn't mean if somebody pulled a gun on me tonight when I left the office, I wouldn't be fearful. I mean, I'm not hoping to get shot dead today, although the way things are going in Columbus, that's a distinct possibility. Uh, but it in, it interests me greatly that there are so many people, and we saw this throughout COVID, with this white knuckling of their earthly mortality. I think that comes from a lack of peace about what comes after death. And I don't have that fear because I know with 100% certainty that my eternal destiny has been settled not by anything I did beyond just accepting the free gift of salvation. But once I receive salvation, I am called to live a righteous life to express my appreciation for the redemption, salvation, restoration that I've been given and uh, to authenticate it. That Yeah, I get what this is about. I get that you finished the work of redemption at the cross with your death, Jesus, and I'm going to live the way you tell me to live because why would I doubt the Son of God? God has more wisdom, more insight, more knowledge, more know-how, and you've obviously demonstrated to me, uh, Heavenly Father and 
Jesus Christ the Son, how much you love me by sending Jesus to die at the cross for me. I don't doubt your love. So if I don't doubt your love in providing redemption for me at the cross, why would I doubt your love when you tell me the best way to live, either for my own benefit or to glorify you? So that's why righteousness is important. And a couple verses came to my mind. Paul talks about our deeds on earth are like filthy rags to God. It's not that he needs our righteousness. He doesn't need it, but he uh, is glorified by it because we're resisting all the temptations and all the inclinations that grip the world, that make people obsess about, how can I live forever? Because I don't want to die. I'm afraid to die. Ah! So that's why God outlines a way for us to live. Uh, There's another verse, uh, do not store up for yourself things on earth that moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. So you're deeds of uh, obedience uh, done to glorify God store up treasures for you in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that, oh, great, I'm going to store up those treasures in heaven, and I'm going to live in a in a mansion in heaven, and I'm going to be like a rich guy in heaven. I don't know how heaven works, but I do know this. When we get to heaven, we're going to be so awed. That's why I love the song, I Can Only Imagine. We're going to be so awed by the power, majesty, holiness, purity, (laughs) and so many other words that can't even begin to capture the awesomeness of God, that if we have uh, stored up treasures with what we've done here in his name for him on earth, we are going to, we're going to like tap our pockets and go, what do I have to offer to you, Lord, to 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 in my complete awe-struck admiration of you, what do I have to offer to you as my thanksgiving for the, the wonder of being here, given the person that I know I am in my heart? So we'll give those treasures to him. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Uh, another verse in the Bible says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot touch the soul. Fear those who can destroy both the body and the soul. And the only person who can destroy both the body and the soul is God himself. So a healthy, reverent fear of the consequences of not living a righteous life, of not authenticating what Jesus did for you at the cross, of not showing your appreciation for what he did at the cross, is also um, something that we need to be mindful of in this life, because God said, I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods. Not money, not temporal pleasures, however that is, not wealth, not uh, prestige, prominence, power. No other gods before me. It's the first commandment. I'm the Lord your God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, the two most precious commandments in the Bible. And yet a lot of people don't live that way. A lot of people are chasing the wind. Solomon talked about everything else other than serving God is chasing the wind. And so, um, you know, we have this earthly paradigm of how to live and what's going to bring us joy 
But the fact of the matter is, um, none of that works unless you are in line with God's plan for your life. Uh, one of my favorite Proverbs is, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Anytime we try to order the world according to our own understanding, it may be noble, it may be sensible, it may be logical, but it is not true. And Proverbs 14, verse 12, makes that clear. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So cryogenics, artificial intelligence, cyborg research, all that stuff. There are very smart people in labs today researching it, believing it, 100% convinced that somehow they will find a way. There's some dude in California right now who has this special coffee. You go to his coffee cafe, you sit on magnetic furniture, the coffee has like a chunk of butter in it. He's convinced he's going to live to 180 years old. He's convinced he's got it figured out. Well, he doesn't. That way seems right to him. But in the end, it'll lead to death. And that's very sad. That is so sad. I can't even equate how sad that is because if you really want to be immortal, if you really want to live forever, it's not tied up in science. It's not tied up in striving. It's not tied up in anything other than saying yes to the free gift of salvation that Jesus makes available to all at the cross, and then allowing that to infuse your life with a completely different purpose, to live in such a way that you extol, esteem, treasure, cherish, elevate, and submit to the way the God of the universe tells us to live. He's preserved the wisdom of the Bible down through the centuries for us to learn from on a daily basis. The Bible is the only book in the world that literally has the power to change your life every time you open its pages and let its truth permeate your mind. I can think of no better way to spend your life than to do that. And so that is my desire for you as I end a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Hope you have a great day. Talk to you again Friday. Thank you for your time.